You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. So Trish, we're back for Series 3 of Postcards from Midlife. What's been happening to you since Series 2? Well, first of all, hurrah! So good to be back. Not a lot, really. Kids have gone back to college. Life's quite quiet in a lockdowny kind of way. But Margot has decided to start attacking me while I'm doing while I'm doing my exercises in the spare bedroom in the morning. She bit my arm this morning while I was trying to. She is a cat, relax. isn't she? <laughs> Probably best to explain that. Yes, yeah, exactly. For those injuries. who don't know, few injuries. What about you? I've had a minor injury. I discovered a mandolin. That's your fault. Told me about it. <laughs> Got the Lakeland catalogue. I think a mandolin called it a pangolin, which apparently is an animal. <laughs> This is one of those slicey things. So, I know um, what it is. Little bit of my thumb missing, but that oh. aside, <laughs> my eldest has gone to university. I've been writing that damn book, which is not as exciting oh, as it sounds. Oh, wait for it. We can't wait for the <laughs> uh, book. And I've been helping with Dr. Louise Newson on setting up the new Menopause Charity, which is a free website for all women Brilliant. who want to get information. Well, we'll hear menopause. more about that in series three. I'm Trish Halpin. And I'm Lorraine Candy. And we're back. Welcome to Series 3 of Postcards from Midlife. We're on a mission to help you make the most of your magnificent midlife. We'll be celebrating the highs and lows of all the issues that affect women at this stage of life, from sleep and sex to parenting and the perils of perimenopause. We've got some fascinating guests lined up to tell their energizing and inspiring midlife stories, as well as leading experts on every area of midlife, from fashion and fitness to HRT and wellness. In today's New Look episode, we'll be discussing what defines success for women in midlife and asking what would you do if another woman accused you of moaning about your menopause? And today's guest will help you kickstart your midlife fashion and beauty mojo. She is glamorous, globe-trotting, 56-year-old lifestyle guru, Trini Woodall, the former TV star, author of 11 books, and now CEO of a very successful beauty business. And we're going to be asking her, what's the secret to being happy with how you look every single day. So I can't wait to meet Trini. Mm. We will also be introducing a new section called How to Win at Midlife, where we answer your questions on a specific midlife challenge. This week, we find out where to get modern stylish jeans, which are a perfect fit for your shape and your attitude. And of course, nostalgia noodling Yay. will be returning. Hooray, because we know you love it. We love it. And don't forget, we love to hear your midlife lessons and experiences too, either on our Facebook group, our Instagram, or by email at hello at postcardsfrommidlife.com. And of course, if you missed any of series one or two, they are all on your usual podcast provider. So please do catch up. So welcome back to Postcards from Midlife and let's get started. So first up, some jibber-jabber, as we're calling it. This is a deep dive into a midlife subject close to your hearts. We're going to share thoughts on one of the things we had hoped to be in midlife, but we might not be sure we have finally got there yet. So Trish, today we're going to be looking at this special midlife word, success. 
Have you finally made it in midlife? And what does it mean to you? Hmm, it's a tricky one, success for me, because I, I think success is something you don't naturally think about all the time in the way that you think about the things that you fail at or you don't do very well. You probably think about those quite consciously. But with success, it's almost like, it's only kind of when someone says, oh, you've had a really successful career, that I think, oh, yeah, okay, maybe, maybe I have. <laughs> so I think there's the sort of bigger picture success, but then there's the smaller successes that we should really be acknowledging in our everyday life, shouldn't we, of the stuff that Family. we achieve and that we do well and it's yeah yeah exactly what about you I think it's a very difficult one success because when we talk about success in midlife we often talk about a new success or a different success or turning into something else don't we it's been great to see women like Kamala Harris 56 Mm. in the news having this kind of new success um, in her life it's lovely to get those women really successful at that stage of life so I Mm -hmm. had um, I'm going to do a massive name drop now I had lunch recently with Bernadine Evaristo who was the prize winning literary guru but she is over 60 and she Mm -hmm. was saying to me she is so glad that her first big success happened a bit later in life because she's about to write another book and she knows that she can really deal with however critics receive that book because she's older and she's got her head wrapped around them not liking it having liked the first one as a possibility she just thinks that she's more emotionally equipped to handle it and I think that's the thing about success in this part of life isn't it we're probably ironically really equipped to handle big success Mm -hmm. that we weren't able to do when we were younger I kind of think for me my success happened quite young I started very very young on newspapers I was woman's editor of a national newspaper at the age of 24 and I I was editor of Cosmopolitan at the age of 32 I think Mm -hmm. so those were big successes quite early on in my Mm -hmm. chosen career but I didn't really still as you said, you really view them as successes. No, exactly. And do you know what? I think the reason why is I think successful people are very driven, aren't they? And they they keep moving forwards. Because I always think like if you're someone who's like you know set up some multinational company and you're rolling in it and you're why don't you just stop and <laughs> and just enjoy it? But they they're kind of driven, aren't they? They kind of want to do more and they want they to have kind a of plan. keep going. They have a plan. But I think the thing about success in a broader a kind of life success way is that you know as you mentioned before it is about career goals it's about life goals it's about family it's about personal kind of things that you want to achieve and quite often in life we are not all of those things will be aligned at the same time and we kind of move in and out of balance and chances are something will be going really horribly wrong at some point in your life and that's the thing you'll focus on more than the things that you're successful in I think I think the word's achievement isn't it maybe it's Mm. it's achievement I think if you were to say instead of saying when did you feel you were most successful is when did you feel you were happiest those things might be completely misaligned Mm -hmm. you know when you were happiest might not have been necessarily when you were most successful I am cheered by women who start everything again in midlife Mm -hmm. though who have a passion for something and then begin to make that money from their passion as well Mm because I think it's all very well being passionate about something and having success around it but if you're not making money from it you can't Mm -hmm. achieve more or or do more things can you it's interesting because I don't think my teenagers see success in the same way at all because their life work study balance is much more important to them perhaps, yeah than so generation they're very X. driven by the success of exams and the success of getting some kind of great well job. i think 
I don't think it's that. I think they're oh. very keen to get a great job, but not at the expense of a happy oh, right. life. Yeah. And do you think that's their <laughs> Finishing generation? at six o'clock, you yeah. know, wanting to that do is a, all those just, things. Yeah. That's not a Gen X thing, is it? That is a sort that's of not, new no. millennial <laughs> and Gen Z thing. But, you know, well, hopefully they'll, they'll, they will succeed at that. Yeah. Do you think but, you've been a success then now that you, what well, are you now, 52, Trish? 53, actually. 53, 53. I forget you're older than me. It's funny, isn't it? Because I'm in that period of transition, probably in the same way that you are, of coming out of, of what was a very successful career and trying to find what's the next thing for me. That's an interesting time because, you know, where are the successes? But the first time I realised I was successful in magazines was, do you remember those awards that we used to have to go to? Yes. And, uh, and I actually won an award, Editor of the Year Award. And it was when I was really heavily pregnant with the twins. And Jack D was the guy handing out the bits of plastic that you've been up on the stage to get and he was absolutely stunned when he saw me sort of waddling <laughs> towards him with this enormous bump in this really hideous kind of polka dot wrap dress because I didn't have any nice evening wear so it was like who is this unglamorous enormous heavily pregnant woman but you know it was that that was my first moment of thinking wow I'm actually quite successful because my peers have voted for me and that was a really, really oh. nice feeling it's a nice feeling that is enough that 19 19- four or something like that. That's brilliant, you see, isn't it? That's a measure of success in the chosen career you're Mm. in. And it's good though to see women successful as people as opposed to career success. It was so Mm. important to Gen X to have career success because our mums Mm. paved the way for us to work, have a family, try and get to the top of our careers. But we shouldn't feel bad if we're not successful, should we? And I just wanted to mention at the older end of the scale, because successful people, apparently, they just keep learning, they keep doing, they keep learning. I was listening to an interview with Margaret Atwood the other day, and she's 18, and she's just bringing out a new volume of poetry. And I was just like, oh my God, you know, amazing, amazing. That's somebody that has definitely been successful. Yeah. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey. 
So now let's meet our first guest of series three. Trini Woodall has been on our screens for almost 20 years since she first appeared alongside Susanna Constantine in the BBC's What Not to Wear. Now she is a fashion and beauty entrepreneur whose makeup launch Trini London has been so successful that more than 10,000 people regularly sign up to waiting lists for her new products. Yes, and her most popular foundation, the BFS Skin Perfector, sold out in 24 hours. She has one daughter, Lila, age 17, and produces eight hours of super useful how-to fashion and beauty content on video each week on her own Facebook and Instagram pages. She says her mission is to save women time and money with practical, easy-to-follow advice. And she's here today to tell us the secret to loving your look every day and defining your own style commandments in midlife. So, welcome Trini. Thank you very much for coming on to Postcards from Midlife. Now, first question, all those years ago when you started out, in banking, I think you started out. Did you think this is where you would end up at this stage of your life? Depends how far back you go. But I think when I was really little, about sort of six and a half at boarding school, I loved making over girlfriends. It was my passion. But being the youngest of six children, as I grew up, I thought I need to impress my dad, you know, hello, I'm here. <laughs> and he was a banker. I never was a banker. That was such a grand title. I was in the arse end of commodity trading. <laughs> I used to, you know, go on to in the tube from Ken High Street to Tower Hill. And I'd have the Financial Times on the outside and inside would be the Daily Mail. <laughs> Living all our lives. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it, it was exactly that wanting to give the impression of this is what I was doing, but my heart wasn't in it. Congratulations on the success of, of Trini London. I mean, it really has been quite a phenomenon, massive, isn't it? It's massive. Really? Yeah. How, I mean, how did it come about and the idea of the stacking pots? You know, how did you decide on the concept and the brand? Because there are a lot of makeup brands out there, but what was so unique and special and why has it worked so well. I think what really helped me in formulating what the brand was going to be was having all that time making over women in England. But after I was kind of not flavored the month mm. anymore, I went with Susanna and we went and made about 26 makeover series around the world for four years. So in every country, I was meeting different women in different stages of life with different income and different issues. And they were talking to me about how they felt about beauty and themselves and clothing and dressing and their body. And it was whatever country I was in, all those conversations are very emotionally led. You know, they're kind of how you feel internally and how you express that externally. And whenever I did makeovers, they would always be the thing, you know, the makeup and the hair would be the first thing that women would notice before they would even notice their body shape had suddenly changed. In England, we had a great team for makeup. But when I went abroad, we had a, a mixture of rather dodgy makeup artist groups. Because if I was in Poland, we had Ignot makeup team, you know, um, who were from the shopping mall retail outlet. And they were making over all the women. You know, we do about 20 women on a show. And I would go round and I would change all their makeup, pluck out their eyebrows. I'd be chopping their hair. I'd be saying, look, please don't give this lovely 50-year-old lady thick powder base. Uh -huh. I've always known what I think will make a woman look mm. her best. And I always felt that I never found it in one brand. So I started in that time when I was traveling, I'd get those pots from Muji and I would mush together everything. So if I was making my foundation, I would take a bit of Bobbi Brown, a bit of Chantecaille, a bit of this, a bit of that, a bit of a powder. And I'd just make a consistency that suddenly I thought became my skin. I've always loved makeup that didn't attach you to an era. I can define a, when a woman felt her most attractive by 
what makeup she wears. And if it's timeless, it's because the woman I meet at that moment feels her best at the time I meet her. So some of the women on our Facebook group really struggle with what to wear in terms of makeup. Their whole lives are changing as they go through the menopause and perimenopause and their circumstances might be changing. And it's a very simple thing, isn't it, doing your makeup? to make you change the way you feel, to feel better about yourself. What have you noticed as women got older? What are the changes that women are afraid to make or should make or without being dictatorial? I think that there's really simple changes. We can get very attached to certain things in our routine, like how we do our base, our relationship with a bronzer. Like a habit of doing the same thing again. I learned doing my makeup in the 80s, and you might learn to do your makeup in the late 80s, 90s. But that was a time of bronzer. There was no blusher. There was a black eyeliner. You know, I embraced that look, and I had very bad acne, so I wanted to cover everything. And... I think that I will find a woman who might say, I feel my face is now wearing me. I feel my makeup is aging me, but I don't want to change. The first suggestion I might say to her is just consider not wearing powders. Just even if you have oily skin, consider removing that because pigment sits in the pigment and Mm -hmm. it can just kind of crinkle a bit. So getting your skin and the cover you wear to just enhance a complexion or make you look like you have a better complexion. I know this sounds really odd, but when we see an oxygenated face, you know, face full of glow, it's incredibly appealing. So all of this is uh, stuff that you have learnt on the way. It's not, you've never trained, you've never, you've just kind of practiced this and learnt this and you love products and you love makeup. And can I say, you were talking about glowing skin, you are absolutely glowing here on our... (laughs) Our Zoom screens. And you you mentioned that you suffered from acne. You know, the journey for you to this gorgeous glowing skin, I know you like kind of certain cosmetic treatments and things. Can you just tell us maybe about your routine and what you feel brave to try and what you maybe draw the line at? I think I would draw the line at a facelift, but I Mm -hmm. wouldn't draw the line anything else. I cannot emphasize enough that the most important thing you can do is to every day have a really good routine that, that a lot of women get fed They say, oh, I've, I've, I, you know, I had great skin, jeans, soap and water, it's fine. And then suddenly they wake up and they think, mm, Well, you can get acne later in life as well, yeah, can't you? You can get perimenopausal acne. When your estrogen levels go down, you start to feel that lack of collagen even mm. more in your face and you feel tired. And when I look in the mirror, you know, I have a beauty brand. I want to look my best, but I want to look my best mainly that when I look at my reflection in the mirror, I feel full of limitless energy to do anything. That's to me what my beauty matrix is. Because if I look in the mirror and I feel tired and drained, I will have a tired and drained day. When I was 13 to 30, I had really chronic cystic acne. I then did Uractane for a year. I did it three months on National Health Service and then that's all they gave then. And then I, I remember I paid, I was at that stage, maybe earning 12 grand a year, but I paid something like 400 pounds a month for this treatment because Because it was that debilitating for you debilitating and whenever i meet somebody with acne or somebody who suddenly gets it again later in life which is even harder in a way because you feel everyone's got it and then after that i had a co2 laser because i had a lot of scarring and from that moment when i was about 29 I really looked after my skin. I did. I haven't gone one day when I haven't double cleansed my skin in the morning and night. I haven't put on a vitamin C. Do you think that makes a real difference you. to you? <laughs> double cleansing and just having a good cleansing routine before bed and first thing. Yeah, because I think you can split out looking after your skin in kind of 
three ways. You can have your daily routine, which is going to take off, slosh off the dead skin cells. And a lot of people say, my skin's dry. Can you recommend a good moisturizer? I do something on Facebook every Wednesday called Skincare Clinic. And that's a, such a common question. I say, think, are you drinking enough water? It might be dehydration, not dryness. And also, are you sloshing off the dead skin cells? Are you using an acid? Are you using a retinol? You know, are you... Oh, I'm not doing that. Your skin... <laughs> And if you're not doing that, there isn't a chance for that glow to come through. So that's why the daily routine is like the most important thing. Then you've got things a daily routine will never do, like your jowls will sag, you yeah. know, heavy eyelids, very, very dark circles. Those things, then you can look at what lovely Alice Hart Davis would say, tweakments. So mm-hmm. I've done Botox since I was 35. I've done a thread. I've done laser. You do have a really high pain threshold, though, don't I you? I will do anything. But... There are also tools at home. Like I, I can literally take out in my top drawer, like people might take out vibrators. I take out Facebook. You know, <laughs> I she's always taken a vibrator <laughs> yeah. out. It's really embarrassing. So when Trish and I started this podcast, we had never heard the word perimenopause. Yeah. We knew we were going to get wrinkles, but we didn't really know that collagen was going to disappear. So talk me through your midlife journey. Did you know about the perimenopause at 40? Did you know the giant what? drop in estrogen was going to cause all this brain fog and all these other symptoms? Well, when I was about 45, I was kind of past having babies. I'd had Lila at 39, but I did IVF after that to try and have a second child for two years. So I did about 16 IVFs in total. And what 16? Yeah. And what that does is it reduces, in a way, your lifetime egg value, for putting it another way. So my mother went into menopause at 55, but I went in at 45 because I kind of had taken 10 years off my cycle. And I didn't know that until I was 52. And I went to see a woman in New York called Erica Schwartz, who to me is one of the best endocrinologists, a hormone specialist. Mm. And so she educated me a lot. And my journey before that, I was with somebody and I thought, oh, would I want to have a baby with them? And I went to get myself checked out. And I suddenly, somebody said, you have no estrogen, no progesterone, no testosterone. And at the same time, a lot of things were happening. I was trying to start Trini London, you know, 48, 49 by this stage. I'd always wanted to start a business. And I was very, very focused on it. But I also felt that I had this tiredness and this quite weightiness. And there were a lot of emotional things going on. I think it's the hardest thing for women that things can happen at exactly the same time. Yeah, You can't really distinguish between is this just an emotional crisis or am I just feeling something differently or are you unwell? So you need to check in with yourself. And I did check in with myself because I thought this is, you know, I'm so excited by this project and there's something going on here. So I finally found this woman after having lots of adventures in Mm. London people who I think actually are, are charlatans. But well, I, I think that's the problem, isn't it? There's so much misinformation and, yeah. and women are susceptible and vulnerable at this stage. You'll kind of say yes to anything or, or pay well, for anything, won't you? Yeah. I think one of the hardest things, a number of GPs will say to a woman, here's some antidepressants. Yeah. You know, and that's their answer. Well, I was offered antidepressants. Yeah. yeah. You know, Lorraine, it's not something that's the answer to many things, but when women are given that and told to go away, you know, not know how to ask the right questions in order to get their GP to be a bit educated, to test their hormone Mm. level. 
to say, actually, you are lacking in these hormones. I will give you some HRT. Were you offered antidepressants at any point yep. in the journey? Yep. And did you say, no, I, I think my instinct is there's something else going on? Yes. And it was, you know, it was a difficult time because this is also when yeah. my partner, my husband at the time was not very well. And so there were lots of other sort of emotional stresses. Mm-hmm. But I went off to America and I met this woman and it was like, this revelation, you know, she did seven hours of testing from my brain capacity to pinching my skin to my memory, ton of memory stuff, hormone levels, DHEA levels, every other hormone level. And then she kind of gave me this prescription, which was hormone replacement therapy, and also a few other things that she felt would, would be very helpful. So since that time, I've basically on a much better journey. You know, then I was kind of like, whoa. I can call it <laughs> <laughs> It's like you're back again, isn't it? Yeah. Obviously, you made the move from TV, had a period out of TV, and then you you became one of the absolute stars of, of social media. And, and you built your brand really through YouTube, through social media. I mean, that is fantastic. Was that the plan? Did you think you were going to do it that way? It was the plan, but it wasn't the plan. This might sound woo-woo to you, but I'm not a 30-year-old saying, let me make a billion dollars. I'm kind of a 56 year old with thousands of women who I've made over and and experienced their stories and heard their stories and thinking I want to create things that make women feel better and really feel better and I want to create content that makes Mm -hmm. women feel better and whether that's in lots of different areas around makeup you know but they all snap together they all lock together. Yeah in terms of fashion though because this is the other thing that you do really brilliantly online and you do it with lots of partners as well so you do you do share it with other stylists as women age we sometimes stick to things that we can't let go of or we refuse to look at any point of change color is one of the things i think you talk about as well to talk me through what the key things that women in midlife as they get older can start thinking about because i think it's a really you know i've worked in fashion 30 years i think yeah. it's a really exciting time of life because you really should be experimenting and changing and trying and not feel so pressured to wear the trends what well, what are the key bits of advice that you mostly offer to women at this stage of life don't follow trends (laughs) yeah don't follow the trends it's it's be inspired by trends for sure you were not the editor of many magazines Lorraine because you didn't feel you want to inspire women with fashion and trends but don't be a slave to them and I think that many women sometimes find like makeup they find the safety like a lot of women who wore a lot of black for their career or they wore a uniform in the corporate world or having to wear a physical uniform and then in their personal life they kind of think well who am i you've got that kind of woman yeah i think that's the key isn't it who am i when you hit who who am i now what can i wear that defines who i am that's a very good way of putting it i think when you're thinking that through as a woman it's how do I want other people to see me? Do I want to feel quiet and chic? Do I want to feel full of energy and bouncy coming into a room? And would I say that women who are really loud can wear color and bold prints and women who are quiet can't? I would say that women who are quieter, they'll be in that quiet, beautiful, chic palette because that's a whole part of their persona. And the big bubbly woman will be wearing the huge mad print and the bright yellow scarf and she'll Mm. be the woman who takes that energy in the room. But there's a wonderful book that I read on the loo in staying in somebody's house in the country (laughs) once. And I picked it up, one of those old 1950s books. And it's this woman and she has a feather boa and when I'm 60, I will wear purple. And it was such a sweet little book. But what it said, and I think this is one of the biggest joys for me of turning 50, I'm now 56, is that I don't give a shit anymore. So that freedom to not care, 
and really embrace it. That's mm-hmm. the thing is really embrace it. And the one thing that might stop you embracing it is teenage kids who might want to put you down. And that's where you go. Oh, to... they're mean. And, and I think that's where own that freedom of not really caring anymore. I want to wear bright color all the time with color. I'm going to do it. You know, I want to wear sequins in the day and, and wear a sequin trouser going for a walk. I'm going to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've the danger is that. going the other way, I think, isn't it? Where you don't, you don't bother. You hit the nail on the head here. Yeah. Because you can just become totally invisible. And I think mm. during COVID, we'll have had a year where our need to dress up and make an effort has been taken from us. So really then mm-hmm. even more our own responsibility to decide if we want to do that for ourselves because ultimately we're doing it for ourselves more than anyone else and that as a woman I think is so important to do and like yesterday I was like I feel shit I really (laughs) felt I I woke up you know you wake up and you feel ugly and horrible and flat and and then I at about one o'clock I just thought screw this and I went in and I got my neon yellow I'll tell you what I did exactly. I can see your neon yellow coat <laughs> oh my Ooh, god she's taken, taken, she's taken a jumper off we can <laughs> see her <laughs> and then I just thought I need to put on some color <gasps> oh look at that yeah, but, baby not many people can wear yellow that's all I'm saying <laughs> it just changed my whole yeah moment so I do think the idea to fade away into invisibility is the biggest mm-hmm. um, service women can do. As you get older, your one's body shape changes. So we can kind of try and wear color to rechange our mind. Should we just ponder on that sentence? For yes. A second? Okay. So say that sentence again. One's body shape changes. Well, mine has definitely. Okay. So this is the killer thing. I mean, I, I don't want to be saying this, but I'm just going to, whenever I speak to those kind of people I respect and admire, like this bloody woman about <laughs> menopausal tummy. Midlife middle, they call midlife it. Midlife middle. Julia Hunter does this to me. This is this dermatologist in LA. And she says to me, Trini, she's, she's a Southerner. She goes, Trini, when women go down the path of life, they need to understand their relationship with inflammation and sugar. Because honey, if they understand their relationship with inflammation and sugar, they will never get the tummy that they hate. Is that right? That okay, so sounds too good to be true to me. Biologically, when we're like past our high estrogen, high burning, good thyroid days, when we take sugar in whatever form, it's inflaming our body and inflammation causes solid movement i mean you know that solidness yeah it's all a numbers game because one can say you know i really want this quality of life and i love it and i embrace it and some of my best girlfriends are those women and they have the better sense of humor they have a better time (laughs) you know they are a more fun woman to sit next to at dinner let's be frank and then you've got the other women who are like i'm really good about sugar i don't do too much and they might not have the tummy but what I'm saying is you don't have to, but it's the balance. It's what you accept. Yeah. How do you dress it then? How do you, how do you, so do you hide it? Do you show it? Do you cut it? Because this is the thing I get asked a lot from women who say, where can I go to get? Or where do I buy? Or where do I get? And then some women start wearing these big, long, floaty things, which I think okay. is not a great way to go. So I think we look at our body and in our 30s, we might have said, it was my tits that were the most amazing thing. And then their 50s, they go, where do they go? Another one might say, I had this incredible hourglass figure. And then they'll say, I now feel a fat from. All right. So it's like, or somebody will say, I have an incredible legs. And actually, when they're 60, they're going to have an incredible legs. That's the only thing I think stays. for a woman stays the same. Yeah. Um, so 
we all know as we're growing up and enjoying our body at its at the most that we identify and know which bit of our body we love and then when that bit goes we then in a way toss out the whole rest of our body and yeah. well it's confusing saying, it, and it's about saying you know what you can disguise little bits but there's great bits there don't negate everything when somebody that i might be dressing does this kind of i've got a tummy so let me do that mm. okay and i'm pulling down my jacket covering it up below my tummy let me do that so i cover everything and i go you do that and you you've become a brick and you don't need to do that so if you instead of doing that you could kind of get a fitted jacket you don't ever do up get a floaty top but you have the structure of the jacket over giving you back the waist you think you've lost and still have a nice decolletage it's the silhouette isn't it to use a really fashiony word isn't it i think there's a big relationship between feeling you have a waist and feeling energy and youthfulness about your figure mm. as you said it it's that as your waist widens you feel the frumpiness of life. Mm. And so it's, you've got to then, if you feel, okay, it's gone, it's not quite there. I'm not going to wear a skinny dress like this, but you could, and you could put a belt on, but it might be an A-line underneath. So your tummy doesn't pop out under. Mm-hmm. You could wear the, the really wasted jacket and not do it up, but you'll have that wonderful shape from your back and from your front. So there's definitely so many tricks mm-hmm. you can do. Like Susanna would have this thing of, um, Susanna's a great shape, but you know, the other thing is for women whose boobs just become insurmountably large as they go through mm-hmm. menopause, they're like these two things that sit in front of them and they think, please chop them off. You know, I know many women who kind of like, oh, yeah. you've got to stop foregoing comfort. And you've got to remember that when you look down at your breasts, you think if they're further out, they feel bigger, but you're the only one who comes up like that and looks down. Yeah. Your <laughs> Nobody else does that. People look at you straight on. So if yeah. people look at you straight on and you allow your boobs to meet your waist, you'll mm-hmm. feel a uniboob frumpiness. But mm-hmm. if you lift that breast up and you encase it properly and you go down, you know, go down. Good a, underwear. Eyes yeah. and, and you invest in good bras that lifts them up. It's it, rethinking, isn't it, your style? It's rethinking and it's also using colour well. When we get older, our bone structure can sometimes change. And where we used to wear a bolder print or something before, because our face becomes softer and less angular, perhaps. Yeah can't wear so much bigger prints, you know, they might wear you. So I think it's about looking at the wardrobe and saying, when I lift it up without makeup on, do I see the print first or me? You know, and if you see the print first, don't do it. Am I somebody who can only do geometric prints and stripes, but I shouldn't do florals? Dump the florals. Mm -hmm. It's just being ruthless about, you know, this is not me. Like I am no longer the A-line dress girl. You know, that kind of knee-length A-line dress girl. I put that on now and I feel mutton coming to me. <laughs> you mentioned teenagers. We've all got teenagers. Oh, yeah, teenagers. We've all got teenage girls. Yeah. And you've got a lovely daughter, Lila. She does appear in your videos with you. You do some really nice ones about skincare and testing out makeup together. What does she think of your style and what you're doing? She's gone through phases. So when she was in her real tomboyish phase, when she was maybe 13 to 15, I would be doing some bit of culling in my wardrobe and I'd pick it up and say, do you think you'll ever wear that? She'd go, no, I'll never wear that, I'll never wear that. Like nice jackets from the 90s, Chloe jackets mm-hmm. or something. She'd, no, no, no. And then I noticed she suddenly asked me to buy her a kind of jacket, you know, that phase when they, they like mm-hmm. a jacket. And she was never the girl who did the skinny jeans, but she was the girl who kind of did trainers and big t-shirt hoodie and sweatpants, which I secretly loved because I 
I'm happy she wasn't doing the kind of parading everything on the down the high street. But she then last year discovered fashion mm-hmm. quite late, really, but discovered. And she has a very particular style, Lila. And she is, you know, I look at her in awe because she'll put things together. And I'm quite, you know, I have rules that I've spent so many years refining. And now I'm kind of trying to be soften, softer with my rules. But she'll, you know, pick a floral with a stripe and put it on and do nine necklaces. And it was suddenly, I think that's... Yeah, it's annoying, isn't it? Yeah. You know, well, I bet she won't take any advice from you, though. She will, actually, a bit. Oh, I like she'll, that. She'll I don't know if it's when you grow up with one parent, you know, mm-hmm. but when you grow up with one parent, you kind of know there's just one parent. You can't just say, fuck you, I hate you. And go and yeah. check them. So mm-hmm. as a result of that, Lila and I will have moments where I might be pissed off with her. But you kind of develop quite a close relationship. And because of that, I will have the tidy up your bloody room rouse and everything. But when we're like looking close, she'll sort of put something on and she might get very frustrated. You know how teenagers go, oh no, not mm-hmm. this, not this. And this pile is building a building. And I'll say, darling, we're leaving in five minutes. Come on. And then she'll come in and she'll say, what about this? And I'll go, that's gorgeous. But if I go, that's gorgeous... I know I sound like my husband used to sound when he wanted to get out the door. So I have to go, okay, take a step back, turn around. And I'm thinking, oh, no, three minutes, we've got to go, we've got to go. But I turn around, yeah, Lila, that's fantastic. I love the way you chose whatever. Oh, oh that's a good tip, actually. Yeah, it's very really good. So what is coming up next? Because we're coming into Christmas. This goes out mid-November. What's coming up next with Trini London? New product launches. New product launches. Um, gifting. Gifting. We did unbelievably fabulous gifting. Love that. Yeah, I saw the Instagram the other day. Absolutely incredible. We, we sold half our stock in four days. Amazing. But next year we have, you know, as a brand, we're growing in in what we offer. And there's one or two categories we haven't done yet, which we are actually doing next year. I just want to say congratulations on the amazing yes. success to have launched a business in midlife and make such incredible success of it and be such an inspiration to so many women out there. So thank you very much, Trini. Lovely way to spend an afternoon. time for our new section what would you do in which we share a midlife dilemma about family friends or parenting this week we're asking what happens when other women accuse you of moaning about your menopause is this the sisterhood letting you down or should we actually stop talking about something which is a normal part of life now we both feel quite strongly about this but i know you feel very strongly about this lorraine do explain i think we both feel strongly about this monopause moment actually one of the commentators called it a sinister epidemic of women moaning about something that was perfectly natural we feel strongly about this trish because Mm. most of our career has been giving women a voice where they haven't had one talking about things that are not normally talked about so that other women can get help or sort things out or not feel so alone i think the monopause brigade lack empathy and i think mm-hmm. that might be a slightly older generation who have had to cope with a lot yeah. and don't have the empathy for something like the menopause because the theme is we shouldn't be victims we shouldn't be defined by it and that if we talk about it when we go for jobs at this age then perhaps people will think all this talk about the menopause women are over the hill etc but i think mm-hmm. that's so wrong it's kind of like saying can you stop talking about diabetes because i haven't suffered it Mm-hmm. So I'm not interested in anyone else that suffered it. Mm-hmm. So just just stop talking about it because we have had some amazing letters from women who would have gone through life with really debilitating yeah. awful symptoms of the menopause and perimenopause who can sort it out. What we're saying is sort it out and then we can get on and be our best selves. I don't mm-hmm. think we are defining ourselves by it. No, exactly. And I don't think we're moaning about it. We're, we're talking about it, aren't we? I don't and moan. We, I don't like we... to moan. <laughs> 
you say it like it is. But, you know, we know, we know from talking to women, from all the feedback that we had, that not only does it save uh, women's kind of, you know, sanity for a period in their life, but it saves their marriages, it saves their careers, and it has saved women's lives being able to talk about this. So we're not going to stop talking about it. I mean, you touched on the fact that it's possibly a generational thing and maybe it's older women who have kind of had to just get on with it and didn't get the help that we are out there asking for. We had a really interesting post on the Facebook group, actually, from one of our members who said her mum had always been really open with her. She was a 60s hippie chick, talked to her about periods, a pill, puberty. And now when she asks her about menopause and her mum actually had a hysterectomy, the mum has sort of completely shut down and says, Mm. don't get caught up in all that rubbish and basically get on with it. And she's really quite confused and upset about that, about why her mother wouldn't be open to talking about it. Yeah, I think there's also that worry that if women of a certain age talk about menopause or perimenopause, they are somehow appearing older, consigning Mm. themselves to the corner, shouldn't really be talked about anymore. But that's sexism. And that's Mm -hmm. misogyny. That's a way of keeping women in a place where they're not useful and and they can't be heard. And I really, that's the thing I object to the most. And I don't want ever to be a voice playing into that or supporting that. Mm -hmm. Really, also, we should tell our daughters about it. We should talk to our younger women. I've talked to my teenage daughters who are 16 and 18 about it so that they know what's coming. I gave a Mm -hmm. mentoring talk to young women magazine editors yesterday. And I said, this is important that you talk about, even though you think it will never happen to you, age 28. 29 but if you know what's coming mm. you can sort it out quite quickly and then you can have a really marvelous second act you you don't have to sit under the weight of other people yeah. describing it um it's just about information isn't it and yeah, getting information sure. out there so if somebody kind of like rolled their eyes at you if you were talking about it what would you do i would say please please this is about helping other women no one may have helped you so that that's where the lack of empathy is Mm. but you should be able to help other women Mm -hmm. it should really be part of the kind of code of the sisterhood really Mm -hmm. to talk about things not all the time not to go on and on and on it's not the only thing that defines a woman over 40 but really we have got to talk about it yeah you know like lots of things in life you know it's like a kind of talking about falling out of love with your husband, talking about women in divorce. We never talk about all these things. So no. we, we do have to keep talking. I think women have always had to put up with stuff. And over this last century, we're not putting up with it. And this is just the next step of things that we are not prepared to put up with. Everything women talk about, they are often accused of moaning about. Mm. But it's never, men are never accused of moaning about things with mm. their midlife crisis. It's, it just feels incredibly unfair. Mm-hmm. So absolutely, should you talk about your menopause? Yes, you should. Now it's time for one of our new segments for this series. It's the helpful, practical, and hopefully life-changing part of the podcast called How to Win at Midlife. We're sort of going to tackle little questions and things that we think are just going to help us get on in life. And bear in mind that we've just been talking to the amazing style guru, Trini Woodall. We decided we'd keep that theme and we're going to be looking at genes because we know it's such a nightmare. And I think most of us have a bit of a love-hate relationship with genes 
genes, don't we, Lorraine? Yes, I think what happens is people don't change their style as they get older. And it's one that's been asked three times, I note, on our Facebook group, mm. where can I get genes to suit me? So I personally, five foot two, quite short of leg, I get my genes and I bear in mind, worked in the industry 30 years. I invest in them and I get them from a brand called Mother. I would suggest that at this stage of life, that you don't go too pale and that you don't go for rips or flares or anything like that, that you buy really good quality genes that the fit is really good. The other thing I think we need to be aware of with genes is the sustainability factor of it. Mm -hmm. Denim is hugely damaging to the planet because of the way it's washed. So I've written down a list of sustainable brands if you really want to have a look at that and um, vintage is obviously the best choice there's a brand called dl1961 it's available on the outnet everlane is the big sustainable online brand really good for jeans some of the levi collaborations mm. are really good from a sustainability point of view then there's other brands like Cezanne, reformation and then boyish they are very expensive but they've got some really great shapes however Mm -hmm. I did turn to an expert yes. because I think it is usually best to talk to someone who's on the front line of yes. fashion. Mm -hmm. um, I spoke to Jess Cartner-Morley, who's the fashion director at The Guardian, and I said, send me your genius because every time she recommends something... I will buy it. Now, she wrote to me, <laughs> she mm -hmm. said, she's going to be very bossy about this because shape makes all the difference mm. between looking chic and modern and jeans that look dated and frumpy. We don't want to be frumpy, do we? She said what she's noticed is lots of women our age stick to skinny jeans because that's all we've seen ourselves in. You know, they were kind of everywhere weren't they skinny jeans yeah That's what yeah. we wore for years and years so jess goes on she says i'm 47 and i think a straight leg jean in rigid denim is the most flattering shape so nothing baggy nothing balloon leg nothing flared it's got to have enough looseness to release from the knee so that's the bit that you want yeah. to look straight. Yes, really. I hate the um, <laughs> hate it too tight on the thighs. I'm not keen on that, I have to say. <laughs> exactly. Looseness around the leg is very forgiving. She would go for high rise and then making sure the waist of the jean is to the top of your waist because that looks a little smarter than low rise and it's quite flattering on your backside. If you're insecure about your tummy, then mid rise it's probably easier to wear. Mm. A lot of women, if you get the midlife tum, you know, during yeah. the perimenopause, you, you kind of do have to start rethinking your jeans a bit, don't you? Because they might oh, not yes. fit on your waist anymore. And that's, uh, that's a bit problematic. Well, I think that's why you do need to step away from the skinny. Unless mm. you're really, really tall, it might work a bit better if you're really, really tall. But it, there's so many other great shapes out there yeah. which would be better. Mm -hmm. But she's got some recommendations from the high street. Now, I bought these ones that she recommends because I absolutely love them. The Gap sky high straight leg now 54 pounds absolutely brilliant if you like a mid-rise go for Topshop editor jeans they're 49 mm -hmm. pounds you can get them in white there's a washed out black one which i love a good pair of jeans is going to be a long wear for you what we call price per wear how many yeah. times you're going to wear it it's worth it so acne do some great jeans there's one called the meke i think m-e-c-e mm -hmm. but that's around 200 pounds yeah quite um, an investment mm. i think it's an investment that works though because you can wear them with a really smart blazer and a really good ankle boot so if you're still going into the office or going to work you can do that mm -hmm. and you can wear them at home and frame do some really good mm. ones as well and then i think unlike anything else you should buy a size down in jeans. This, this is Jess, your advice? Jess, Jess is saying that advice? and Jess, my advice. Right. Oh, I you, right. always buy a size down in jeans wow. because okay. they always get bigger. Yeah, no, they do actually. Yeah. 
Yeah, um, they, go big, they can go baggy and saggy. One wash and oh. they are a bit bigger. I also buy, I know this sounds really <laughs> fashiony, but I also buy a really good specific denim wash for jeans. Oh, I, I don't know about everybody's this. Everybody's wash. Denim wash. In all at the same time, it's a liquid that you can use for denim and it doesn't take the colour out. Oh, I've never heard too of much. that. Um, mm-hmm. You could put your whole family's jean wash in at the same time then. So that's the lowdown on buying jeans at this yes. stage of life. Take a chance and try something new, I say. So now it's time for our favourite bit of postcards from midlife, nostalgia noodling. Now, Trish, I can tell you are dying to release this nugget into the airways back from your past. What have you been remembering, Trish, and try and keep it clean? Well, it's very clean. It might be a bit messy and unattractive, but again, following on the style and glamour theme, do you remember Miss Selfridge makeup? Oh. It was fantastic. So actually, it came up on a thread in the Facebook group about embarrassing makeup moments from our past, and someone mentioned purple lipstick, and it immediately took me back to the Harrow branch of Miss Selfridge where my friend Sam and I would go every Saturday afternoon and it was such great makeup at a time when there wasn't a huge amount to offer that would appeal to a couple of sort of spotty self-conscious young teenage girls and I remember buying this purple lipstick called Iron Lady it was absolutely hideous it was sort of metallic that's very you Iron Lady I think now yes well Mm. maybe the names were brilliant the sort of packaging was but we never knew how to apply it did we because we didn't have YouTube we didn't have Instagram we didn't didn't have reams of information it was only magazines and it wasn't specific enough so you and it I mean, was, I was the wearing 80s. yellow eye makeup well it was the 80s think about think about those looks with the big hair and the mad <laughs> it was all dynasty and human league wasn't it let's face oh, it Joan oh Joan Collins makeup was fabulous lovely so Miss Selfridge makeup where did you go for well, the nostalgia how strange trip? we have not colluded on this mm. but I've gone back into a very fashiony place after looking at Kim Kardashian's 40th birthday party oh. Oh, have you, have you mm. got your own hologram? Uh, no. <laughs> I, can, I can ring my dad for him to, to oh, yeah, tell me true. to get on with stuff <laughs> and stop wittering. I went all the way back to the 90s, actually, not mm. quite as far back. And actually, Tammy Girl, do you remember Tammy Girl? Fashion shop, fashion store. Mm. Yes. So Kim was wearing a 1990s style chainmail dress, mm. which Alexander Wang had made for her, who's a very now designer. But the chainmail dress came from Paco Rabanne days when mm-hmm. they used to call the models glamazons. And I loved it all so much. I had my own chainmail dress, <laughs> which was so cheaply made. And do you oh. remember they were so badly yeah. made? It would stick to bits of my body as I oh. would wear it. And it was always about four inches shorter than it should have been because it was sticking to my butt and my hips and everything like that. But I was just looking at Kim looking perfect in mm. hers ridiculous obviously and perfect and then i remembered that kate moss do you remember the kate moss chainmail dress mm. where she wore it with naomi campbell yes. at a party in the late 90s and then i remembered that i was at that party oh you weren't yes. were you oh you what show about off? that you show off i'm That's such fantastic. a show off today aren't i sorry so, uh, am i assuming from now on. that you got the chainmail dress from tammy girl is that the connection i did the, oh. the connection is i got my chainmail yeah. dress from tammy girl and you could never wash those things because they would just fall <laughs> apart 
in the wash or your mum would say what the he- what the hell is it did you sort of clink and clank as you were as you were wandering no, around because no it was just sort of cheap, cheap, cheap shiny cheap, cheap and shiny cheap and shiny not very sustainable i know kind of a bit like the things some of i see my teenagers wear today anyway there we go all the way back to tammy girl and miss selfridge Well, that brings us to the end of our first show in series three of Postcards from Midlife. And it is so good to be back. We cannot wait to hear what you think of our lovely New Look weekly show. So please head to our Facebook page and our Instagram to keep the conversation going. Yes, thank you everybody for listening, for listening to this and for listening to series one and two. I really hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, can you tell your midlife friends who tune in as well? And remember, you can subscribe from your podcast provider and rate and review us too, so that we can continue to bring you all the best midlife stories and helpful advice and once again you can email us ideas or questions at hello at postcardsfrommidlife.com goodbye Goodbye. mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for mother's day than whole foods market they're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.